So uh, as we're going into this time, and as I came up to uh, knowing that I was going to be here this morning, I was really pretty excited. You can see the uh, title for the sermon, Objects in the Mirror Are Larger Than They Appear. Uh, this is another one of those situations that even though we have that on our mirrors and we see them, remember when you used to see that all the time? Uh, I think God flip-flops that. And that's what my whole sermon is going to be about today, how objects are really smaller than they appear in the back. It's just us who makes them larger than they appear. So uh, let me talk to you guys a little bit. I was in... Uh, the summer of 1975, I remember a movie came out called Jaws. Do you guys remember that movie? And I was living in Corpus Christi, Texas growing up, and all we did was go to the beach. And so I remember being just as afraid as I could be to go in the water. In fact, my wife will tell you, she's a Long Beach, uh, California girl, that she still has not ever seen the movie Jaws. Never has seen it because she doesn't want it to ruin our beach time. So, um, so I remember growing up and thinking about that and how big it was and how huge it was. And then I went on the Universal Studios tour. How many of you guys have been on the Universal Studios tour? Have you been? So let me tell you, for those of you who haven't been, when you go on the tour, first of all, Jaws lives in the very same pond of Cabot Cove where they did Murder, She Wrote. So it's right there. And a block away is the Munster's house. So all three of these things are there that, you know, and you're thinking this huge shark and how crazy it is. It's a little bit, it's not even as big as here. The entire Atlantic Ocean isn't as big as our church. That object for me, that shark and everything that was so big was obviously much smaller. In fact, Jaws is actually a little remote-controlled shark named Bruce. <laughs> so that's what I was afraid of growing up, is this little remote-controlled shark named Bruce. You know, um, I remember, too, how many of you have been back to your elementary school? How many of you have gone back? What's one of the first things you say? It's so small. It's so small. But when you were there in elementary school, wasn't it just huge? And the teacher was big. And the blackboard was just huge. I know because I spent a lot of time with my nose in the circle on a blackboard. Maybe I was a little bit OCD. I don't know. Or, or HD. But anyway, so I spent a lot of time there with my nose in the circle uh, of that. But that classroom that I thought was so big, you go back and visit it, and it's so, so small. Things are smaller than they appear. And that's what our sermon is going to be about today. I'm going to ask Matt to go ahead. And I want us all, if you'll stand with the beginning and read through this message, this uh, scripture that we have today. Matt, go ahead and, and read through. And he's going to lead you through because I would probably goof up some way through the middle. So, Matt, go ahead. can't see that one. All right. No, <laughs> dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So I want to let you know that today you guys can be seated. There's going to be two things that we're basically measuring on and looking at in this service. And those two things are forgetting 
and pressing on, forgetting and pressing on. So why do we need to forget? Why do we need to forget what is in our past? Why do we have to do that? I've got a couple points that I want to go over with you and let you look at with me, and let's see what the Scripture says about it. You know, the first reason that we need to forget is that we minimize Christ's sacrifice. We minimize his sacrifice. We're going into a wonderful season. You guys saw that we have um, three different services. Next week will be our Palm Sunday morning service at 1015. And then we have our Good Friday service at 630, which will be the Lord's Supper. And then we have our Easter Sunday service. Those services are all there to remember what Christ did for us. Every time that we do Lord's Supper, I'm so excited because we remember what Christ did for us. We remember how he gave his life for us. And when we can't get past our past, and when we can't look forward, we minimize Christ's sacrifice. Let me read a verse to you if you'd like to turn to it. It's Hebrews 10. 11 through 18. I'm going to read this through for you, but if you'd like to turn to it, Hebrews 10, 11 through 18. And this is speaking towards um, that minimizing the Christ sacrifice. Paul is actually sharing here about the old way of doing things, the old way that things were done. It says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who were being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that. Write it on their on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, and I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifice. Christ offered that sacrifice for us. We don't have to keep beating ourselves up for the same sins over and over again. We just have to come to him and and confess it. But there's a reason that we need to confess. And you guys have heard me say this before. Barclay in his commentary says, the reason we are pure after we confess is that Christ cannot inhabit an unclean place. So the Lord washes us clean. In fact, he cuts down our very soul and scrubs out his dwelling place. You've heard me say before, Christ used all sorts of vessels in the Bible and the Word. He used a new vessel. He uses old vessels. He uses borrowed vessels. But the one vessel he will never use is an unclean vessel. And that's why this is important. When we go and we're trying to confess our sins to him, we need to make sure that we scrub it out good. And so later in the service, you're going to have a chance to do that. You're going to have a chance to come forward and scrub out that part of it and present yourself as a clean vessel to him. But I want you to remember that. He will not use an unclean vessel. In where I work all the time, we are always under attack because our entire job as a ministry is leading others to Christ. 
That's what we do. We pray every day together. And my prayer during my quiet time every morning is create in me a clean heart, O God, from the Psalms. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from thy presence, O Lord. Make that your prayer every morning. Ask God to scrub you clean. Ask his blood to scrub you clean. The next reason that we need to do this is the past is much bigger to us than it is to God. The past is much bigger in our eyes than it is to God. You know, I've always wondered when I'm online, we have people come with all sorts of things that they need to confess. And I'll tell you that this morning, I know from uh, Barna's uh, uh, surveys that he's done and other things that have happened, that there are people in this congregation, in this group this morning, that have struggled or are struggling with sins that they are beating themselves up about. In this, in this auditorium this morning, there's people who have had problems and maybe have had an abortion in the past. There's people who struggle with lust, with alcoholism, or they have in the past, and they keep beating themselves up every time that they do it. Matt Chandler from The Village says, and it's really great when he talks about this, he talks about the verse in Romans where he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And I love that. I love that that part that his grace is there for us. You know, I, I've always wondered when people have asked and, and they call up and, they, and they'll, they'll come to us online and they'll say, man, God just can't forgive this sin. He cannot do it. And, and I say to them, what do you think the worst sin is? Because I know for me what is the worst sin. For me, the worst sin would be for me to deny Christ. Wouldn't it? Everything else, but to deny Christ to deny him would be for me the worst sin. And yet, the story of Peter in Matthew 26 talks about him doing just that, doesn't it? It talks how he denied him three times. They came to him the first time. They said, you know, hey, you were, you were that guy who was following Jesus. He goes, no, no, you've got someone else. A little bit later, some women around the fire go, surely you were one of those guys. I'm telling you, I'm not the guy. Finally, on the third time they came, and he says he cursed them and said, I am not that guy. And you can see that anger boiling in him that Peter had boiling in him. And then it's interesting because Jesus later reinstates Peter, as we read in John, because Peter there could not forget his past. He kept beating himself up about that. And Jesus reinstated him. And by the way, I think it was really neat how he did it. It just happens to be three times again that Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. And then he's, Peter, did you hear me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. He did it three times and brought Peter back to that. And we know that Peter became one of the greatest preachers of the Old Testament. Peter went out to win so many for Christ. So when we talk about 
the word sin, I think it's neat that the Bible says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, I've wondered why he did that. Why he said east is from the west. You know, why didn't he just say it was, he removes it a really far away. You know, he just, he gets it as far away as he can. Why did he say east is from the west? Because eventually the east becomes the west. There is, it's infinity. There is nothing. It goes forever and ever and ever. The east eventually becomes, you can go north. You can go south. But eventually you're going to go far enough east to where you're in the west. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. If we keep, our past is much bigger to us than it is to God. The next point I want to make is if we keep looking behind, we miss opportunities that are in front of us. This is 2 Peter 1.8. Let me read it to you. It says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their own sins. Rick Warren says it this way in Purpose Driven Life. He says, the very thing that you are most ashamed of is the very thing that God wants to use for your glory. The very thing that you're most ashamed of is the very thing that God wants to use for his glory. So I'm talking to you people this morning that maybe have some sins in your past that you can't get rid of, that you can't look past. It may be time to give that over to Christ, whatever it might be, and let him use that for his glory. I guarantee you're not the only person that's struggling with that. Every day when I'm online, we have some of the same subjects that come up. I could go through our top 10 for you, but just let me give you a couple that you wouldn't believe. First of all, does God forgive? Everybody wants to know, does he forgive? Is he really there? Those are some of the regular ones that you would think. In our top five, homosexuality. Am I gay? I'm gay, am I going to hell? Another one, self-harm. Young girls that keep cutting themselves. Eating disorders. Remember, we're not counselors. We're just trying to get them into relationship with God because you cannot get through these without God. And these people, I can tell you that they come to us time and time again because they keep looking behind and they miss what's in front of us. A lot of you have probably been on trips and you're driving down the road and you're always looking at, well, let's hope you're always looking ahead. You know, my wife would say I probably don't do that all the time. But you want to look ahead and see what you're going towards. You want to map out where you're going towards. You don't want to look behind you because if you do, you're not seeing any of the beauty and any of the opportunities that he has in front of you. Again, remember to embrace that which you've had in your life and that which you've done so God can use it for his glory. I want to tell you a, a quick story. 
There was a man, he was in his 20s, and during those years he drifted. When he turned 31, he thought, I got to get myself going and do something. So he formed a partnership and went into business. In a year and a half, he lost everything and went bankrupt. Then he decided, I love this line, then he decided that since he was broke anyway, he should go into politics. I won't even mention what we're all thinking right now. Uh, In his first election, he lost badly. Two years later, when he was 34, he decided to get back into business, and he went bankrupt again. A year later, he thought things were getting better, and he fell in love with a beautiful woman. Unfortunately, she died. So the next year, at the age of 36, he had a nervous breakdown and was confined to his bed for months. He finally shook that off, and two years later, he decided to run for another local election. He lost. He went into another business and made a little money. And then at 43, he ran for the Senate. He lost that election as well. When he was 55 years of age, he tried for the nomination of his party for vice president and was defeated badly. At age 58, he ran for the Senate again. Once again, he lost. Finally, at 60 years of age, he was elected to his first office. And this is how Abraham Lincoln became president of the United States. He pressed on. Let me tell you, if there was ever anybody who could look behind him, it was this president. I love the fact it it makes me feel good that he really didn't get things going until he was 60. So so as that's coming up sooner and sooner, I look at it and go, well, that's good. I've, I've got a really good example there. But Abraham Lincoln pressed forward, past the challenges, past all those people that were telling him he couldn't do it, past the people who had frankly voted against him. He lost everything, and finally, he found success. Julianne and I have something, and um, I shared this uh, with the singers earlier. Uh, that I was going to share this personal story of us. Um, when when we were, lived in Houston, Texas, uh, we lived there for about three years, and I I just made some bad decisions in my life financially and uh, went through some really, really hard times. And so we decided, I'll never forget, I came into Julianne, on a Sunday morning at 3 in the morning. And I said, "Uh, honey, uh, I think we need to move. And by the way, I think we need to do it Friday. And I came in and told her, we put all of our stuff in the storage. We took a van, a rider van, with Julianne and I, our daughter Jenny. We had a mattress, our clothes, and two dogs. And we drove from Houston, Texas to Denver, Colorado. And when we got to Denver, Colorado, we lived with some friends for about a month in, a, in one room, all of us, the dogs included. And then we were finally able, uh, we both got jobs very quickly, and we're finally able to get a place that we could have as our own. Now, it wasn't good. It was in a bad section of town. In fact, I'm going to say something. Please don't be offended when I say this, but there was one evening when we were sitting up 
and my daughter, you, we had the windows open in Colorado. It was a nice, cool breeze. It was November. So we just had them cracked a little bit to get air in. And uh, uh, there was a guy out front who uh, was there with buddies, and you can hear all the sounds. And he goes, hey, dude, look, I just peed in the trash can. So that's where we lived. Uh, Julianne and I slept on a blow-up mattress that was blown up at the beginning of the night, and at the end of the night, it was on the ground. And my daughter slept on that single-bed mattress that we had, and we put it on the floor in her room. So one night, I come in, and I see my daughter, and she is cutting things out of Us Magazine and People and all those kind of time and all that. And she's cutting these pieces out and she's pasting them to one of the little boxes that we moved in, one of the small boxes. And she's using toothpaste as paste to put them on. And I'm watching her and I'm going, is this a project for school? What is she doing? And I kept watching it and everything. And she's there with her little light on the floor and she's pasting this box sitting on her little mattress on the floor. I finally looked at her I go, Jen, what are you doing? And she goes, well, Dad, she goes, I'm having a hard time seeing my books as I do homework. And so I'm making myself a nightstand so I can put my light on it so I could see and do my homework. You don't want to think that that kills a dad. I put my family in that situation. Believe me in my life, from that moment on, I pressed on. I pressed on in my life, not because I was a great guy or anything, but I realized I had to forget about all the things that I did in the past. And I needed to press on for my daughter and for my wife. And it kills me that it had to come to that point that I was so selfish that it came to that point that I had to do that. I don't know where you are today, what you're struggling with, What's happening in your life? This has been an easy sermon to understand. You guys will get the big gun next week, and he'll be back in. I should have said at the beginning I was real happy that as soon as you guys put me saw me put this on that you didn't start walking out. <laughs> but what we need to do today is forget and press on. We as a church will never get to where we want to go as a church unless we forget the past and press on. You as a person, there's some things that you might be holding on to. And you won't move on until you forget and press on. So I'm going to have the band come back up. Lauren's going to lead us in a time of invitation. Here's what I want from you all this morning, if you wouldn't mind as we go into this time. Here's what I want from you all. Um, I want you to look into your life. And there may be someone that you need to even go to 
There may be a child that is your child. There may be a brother or sister. There may be friends here or whatever that maybe you know they're struggling with something and they need to forget and press on. I'm going to ask you as a church to turn into each other this morning and help one another and pray for one another so we can get past some things that maybe is really hurting someone in their life and that we can press on. If you're a person that is here this morning that hasn't ever had that time that you've asked Christ in your life, I'm telling you right now, you can't forget and press on because you don't have the power to do it. That power only comes from Christ. The only way that you can scrub out your heart is if you have his cleansing power. And so if you're here this morning and you need to make that decision, I'm here and I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you this morning. But for the rest of you, as we stand and we get ready to sing, um, look at what's in your life. See what you need to forget. Confess that up here. Or if you need to do it in your chair, kneel down, whatever you need to do. Confess it, something that you've been hanging on to, and press on. This whole series is called Take the Next Step. Take the next step. And it's hard to do that if you keep hanging on to what's back. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?